Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 77. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. And we've got the gang all back together again on another ridiculous week of usual political insanity. So the plan today, so we're recording this episode on a Tuesday night. We'll obviously be out on Friday as you're listening to this. So we'll be a little behind the times. And look, it's probably not even worth guessing who the Prime Minister might be by the time this comes out. But as far as we know, it will be Scott Morrison by that point. So the main plan for today is we're going to have a look at... Hang on, hang on. We know it's Scott Morrison. We know now, Lisa, we're recording this Tuesday night. There's a whole three days to go. Anything could have happened by then. <laughs> Anything. I might be Prime Minister by then. Who knows? But, I was um, watching Liam, they on, don't um... get to that level of desperation, surely. <laughs> I was watching some um, thing on oh, iView, which had been the night before the leadership spill, and honestly, it looked like it had been, it felt like it had been recorded 10 years before. That's how much had <laughs> happened in between. It's utter madness, it's isn't it? Bizarre. It's just bizarre. So, the, the main plan, so uh, obviously as part of that change, we have a new education minister, Dan Tian, and we're saying a, uh, a fond in, in probably inverted commas farewell to uh, Senator Simon Birmingham. So, the, the plan for the discussion in this episode will be, we'll spend a bit of time looking at Simon Birmingham legacy. So what do we think is his legacy in the early education space? And then we'll shift over to a discussion about what the new minister uh, will, should or may do with his new portfolio. But I think before we go into that, uh, we might sort of do uh, like a, a mini spin-off episode, which is just sort of talking politics in general for a little while. You know, this is, it's, it's, I guess if you've been watching any news or reading anything, it's hard to been, have been avoiding the discussions about the sort of craziness of Australian politics and I guess all three of us are fairly political junkies so I think we wanted to spend probably just a few minutes just I don't know audibly shaking our heads at the state of Australian affairs you know Lisa I might start with you what was your reaction to yet another you know ridiculous implosion of a of a government in front of our eyes it's really funny because when it was happening I was entranced I couldn't wait for the next piece of information the next you know what's going to happen what's going to happen but since as soon as we knew that Scott Morrison had won, I lost total interest in it. I think I'd somehow thought to myself that something was going to change as a result of it. And then when I realised, no, nah, it's just different kind of white dude in charge, then I lost all interest. So what, what was your ultimate fairy story around this? Like you were obviously waiting for something different to happen. So what did you want to happen? Would have been good if a chick had got it. <laughs> um, They're just going to keep uh, knocking on that door, Lisa. One day, one day they'll be let in. Did you hear what Julie Bishop said today? She was interviewed and um, you know, about if she thought that a woman could ever do it. And she said something, oh, I haven't got her exact words, but it was something kind of like, you know, if there's ever a woman with these skills, then I'm sure they'd do it and, like, enunciated all of her skills. Oh, <laughs> did she? Oh, you're going to love her. That's fantastic. Oh, goodness. Can you send me that link? <laughs> well, I think it highlights, I mean, the, the main loser from this whole thing, apart from, you know, the entire population of Australia, is is Julie Bishop. Because, you know, you look at her, um, she's been uh, Deputy 
uh, leader of the Liberal Party, both in government, and, in government and opposition for the past 10 years. She's been a fairly high-profile uh, finance minister. She was, by a country mile, the most popular of all three of the leadership contenders, and she was knocked out in the first round. And I, 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 feel, I feel so strongly for Julie Bishop. I she played them. Oh, well, I, I reckon I, she played I, them, don't you? I, 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 wish like that, I wish that was the case, but I, you know, I, I would dis- probably disagree on almost every one of Julie Bishop's positions, and you know, we are we are polar opposites in terms of politics. But my God, as the, she she would be the most competent person in that entire government. Imagine having to share the stage with people that like Tony Abbott and Barnaby Joyce and being clearly the most competent person in that entire government. And for it to come to this, it's just, it, I, I do feel as much as I can for anyone on that side of politics, I feel pretty sorry for Julie Bishop out of all of this. I feel sorry for all the little girls that, you know, are looking at politics and seeing Julie Bishop and her wonderful red shoes that she had on today walk out the door that are seeing, you know, um, Sarah Hansen Young and um, Emma Husa, uh, you know, like um, accused of using their sexuality to get ahead. Because it's those little girls that suffer when stuff like this happens. Yeah. In, in terms their, of their aspirations? Yeah, well, they give up their aspirations or they just, you know, like they don't get to see women in Parliament. Yeah. Well, that that is, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest um, mind explosions for me is that, that that is the, the more we see this, same lineup of exactly the same type of um, man in Parliament, the the less you sort of want to engage with it. Like if people don't see themselves in it, then why do they want to engage in the whole shenanigans? It's the door is closed. You're not knocking hard enough, ladies. Not a bit harder, <laughs> but I've got to say, you look at that, that stuff's exactly right. So the representation stuff is really important because I, I was the same as you, Lisa. Was following it uh, much to my wife's annoyance and disgust. You know, having ABC News twenty four on, having about two tweet columns going <laughs> going at the same time. So Scott Morrison wins, and you see his first address to the nation as prime minister, and it's just meaningless, cliched, gobbledygook about the fair go, and you, you, you get you, you get something if you give. It's just it is utter you know and he gave all of his new ministers an australia badge today to remind them whose side they're on well they're all bloody idiots ladies. he's probably reminding them which country they're in what, what was the badge <laughs> look at the lot of them they need probably reminders of which bloody country they're they're, they're for reminding. what was it the was badge? an australian flag oh okay so they've all got to wear a lapel pin, you know, those kind of things that you buy to give away to foreign school children on trips. Oh, my God. You know what? Look, I'm probably going to be abused for saying this, but I think that if you're putting that sort of nationalistic shit out there, then there is a problem. I mean, why, not just, why not just get caps? If we've got to do that, 
why not just get caps that say make Australia great again and just uh, go the whole hog? Exactly. <laughs> Hang on, hasn't someone already done that? Hasn't um, What's-His-Face already done that? Very possible. Can I just say the one, we will we'll have to move on to our main topic of discussion soon, can I say the one fantastic thing that's come out of this for me, I don't know if you see this um, this amazing woman on Twitter who was just following along commenting and then she quickly shared an image of a, of a tote bag that just had the, the catchphrase, ban the single-use Prime Minister. And oh, she yeah. and she's become a sensation overnight. She sold about eight thousand dollars worth of them. So I say, oh, you know, I say, hey, yeah. can we just make that woman prime minister for a start? But <laughs> good on her. Can I just say before we leave the topic, I really um, suggest anyone that um, even if they're not really interested in politics, to have a read of Kevin Rudd's column, which he did for the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, uh, two days ago, what day of the week was that? Sunday, Monday. Um, it's a really, really good column, and it tells you a lot about how Australian politics work. And maybe we can put a link to it, Liam. Absolutely, we can definitely do that. But let's uh, let's segue into the to I guess we to the uh, more, more serious aspect of the discussion tonight. So uh, we've obviously. As part of every time there's a new Prime Minister, there's generally a new uh, Cabinet and a new front bench and new ministerial announcements. There's been a, a relatively big shake-up. Some people have held on to their jobs, some haven't. Uh, one person who we're moving on is Senator Simon Birmingham, who's been the Education Minister since uh, around September 2016. Uh, so... As he heads off to the trade, tourism and investment portfolio, I guess we wanted to spend a bit of time. Uh, he's really been, he's been pretty much the minister basically the time this podcast has been running. So he, this podcast launched in September 2016. So we're two years old uh, this week. Happy birthday to us. And that's roughly the same Happy time. Happy birthday. <laughs> us. And that's roughly the same time uh, Senator Birmingham took over as the education minister. So I guess. You know, we've, we've obviously got a pretty significant backlog of discussing him and his policy decisions, but I might start with you, Leanne. You know, when you think about what, what, what do you think uh, Simon Birmingham's legacy in that role in, re- in relation to early childhood education will be? Silence. Yes, I agree, Leanne. Yeah, I, I'm, well, I think his legacy will be his capacity to implement policy. Um that was flawed and that that has actually happened. But I'm, I, look, I just think that I'm struggling a bit with um, what is the legacy. Hmm. Tell, well, yeah. Well, so tell us a bit more about that, Lam. What do you? What's well, what, what's the struggle I, about? Okay. So sorry, I, I was being a bit vague there, and I, I think when I was so I'm very fortunate at the moment to be teaching a lovely bunch of third and fourth years at uh, Sydney University. Big shout out to them because some of them listen to our podcast. <laughs> Can you imagine? They listen all day, and then they listen all on another day. But um, I, we were sort of talking about. You know the the what people sort of offer in terms of that role as a minister, and I think when I when I think of people like Maxine McHugh, for example, who was parliamentary secretary, or Kate Ellis as uh, minister for early childhood, there's such a strong engagement and a capacity to really hear what is going on in the sector and 
maybe not always to change, make those changes, although there were significant changes under their leadership, but to to engage. And I I have not sort of felt that sense of engagement with Simon Birmingham. So in that sense, I think if you're thinking about someone who's a minister for what their their subject matter is, then the engagement should be with those people and with the, the, the subject matter, so to speak. Whereas my sense in terms of Simon Birmingham is that his engagement has been with the policy issue from the government's perspective and getting that done, getting that job done. So I suppose in that way he's quite successful, but not really from the perspective of children and families um, nor from the sector perspective. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, of course it yeah, does. <laughs> I think I know what you're saying. I think a part of it is as well that, you know, the it's interesting that the, the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, used to have uh, policy responsibility for early childhood when it was briefly in the uh, DSS, uh, the Department briefly? of Social... Briefly? Briefly. 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 <laughs> briefly. In, it's a late night, everyone. And briefly in um, the Department of Social Services. And... The Jobs for Families package was actually largely sort of Morrison and the DSS's um, sort of uh, development, and Birmingham kind of just fiddled, you know, as Leanne said, you know, success, you have to sort of take credit to him in terms of um, that that took quite a while to get through the Senate, and Morrison sort of tried and failed. So he did, but, but that wasn't kind of, I mean, you never got the sense from Birmingham that he you know, particularly identified or owned that policy. It was just something he had to get through the Senate and and the only really interest in him was, you know, sort of having it as an election issue to say we, we supported these families. It was um, – so I, I guess it's tricky when you have a minister that's been in the place for so long and the big ticket – I mean, we sort of asked the question, what's the legacy? I mean, the, the, the answer to that is obvious. The legacy is the childcare package. It is the childcare subsidy. But one of the challenges with that is that – it's that's something he I think what you're trying to say Leanne I feel like I'm I don't know just repeating what you're saying or even worse mansplaining we're saying is that he didn't this wasn't like his you know this wasn't some deep emotional connection he had to this policy he was just kind of getting it through the parliament yeah but it it was even even worse than that because all he's successfully done in those two years is change how we provide subsidies to parents for early education and care. Yep. That's it. So we've got a new subsidy system. We've combined two payments into one, et cetera. And he's done a a short-term extension of the universal access policy. He's removed the um, funding for... uh, the national quality framework, and that's literally it. Now, if we compare that to what, you know, um, previous ministers have done, things like, well, they brought in new regulations, they brought in the national quality framework, they brought in, do you know what I mean? Like it's Yeah, that's, that's right. And I guess that but I, my point that I was sort of incoherently saying was that that's the, the they're working to the constituency of children, families, and the sector, and I sort of feel like there's not an in, there's not a level of engagement there that we've had from Birmingham. His engagement has been with the machinations around that policy. Get it done. He's done a great job for government. Yeah, for government. absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah, not necessarily for, you know, children. Yeah, but, which, okay, but has he really d- done it? Yes, he may have been partially responsible for getting it through Parliament, but that could have been just as much, you know, like, um, you know, like who knows whether it was him that persuaded the independents to come on board with it or if it was someone else. Hasn't he really just stayed out of the way while the bureaucracy implemented? Hmm. Yeah, but I guess if you're going to take responsibility. But you could say the same for some of the great changes that were made under the other ministers. I mean, they certainly, you know, did some of those things, but they also would have allowed the bureaucracy to do that. I guess you preside over that, don't you? You preside over what, what happens I think my problem is that there's been no sense of connection to the to the sector itself. It's like, you know, I can't recall a moment where I thought, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that, what you're saying. He didn't even do the wombat wobble, did he? <laughs> that's Unlike our new Prime saying, Minister, Scott Morrison, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But when when I think of the things that... I heard out of the mouth of Kate Ellis, for example, or that I heard out of the mouth of Maxine McHugh, I think they are things, you know, remember Maxine McHugh as a parliamentary secretary just had a sharp focus on what it was that early childhood education did for children and society. And she could say that stuff verbatim. It was beautiful to watch. She was a journalist, I get that. But, you know, I I just think that you want to have someone you can believe in. Yeah, there was never any sense of vision, I don't think, from Simon Birmingham. And, and I might, you know, when I was thinking about this question today and how I was going to answer it uh, tonight, answer my own question, uh, is exactly the stuff you were just saying there, Lisa, around in terms of his pulling out of the National Partnership Agreements for, for the National Partnership Agreement for the National Quality Agenda and really undermining the universal access to preschool arrangements. To me, his legacy will actually be seen in a little while. I think that, that, that to me is actually the more insidious. So look, we've debated and talked about the childcare package for the last two years. We're not, anyone we have convinced it is a bad package is now convinced. We're not convincing any other people. It's now legislated. It's, it's the law of the land. To me, the more insidious and the more long-term impacts actually will be his, that Simon Birmingham seems to have taken a position that the federal government should just not be involved in early childhood education at all. So he, he's, he's clear, he has done nothing but undermine the National Partnership Agreement for preschool access. Now he claims this is largely around his concerns around the states, you know, matching up attendance with enrollment, which may, which may be accurate, but he hasn't sort of led and said the vision, look, here's what we need to improve, let's get more data, but let's make sure we commit to uh, to children having this access. He's, all of those decisions have been part of pulling the federal government out of those partnerships. I, I fundamentally believe he does not believe that the federal government should be involved in early education, and that's a pretty poor legacy for the early education minister to leave as he as he heads off. Um, I yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we're just trying we're grappling with this and trying to think of that. And I think I I agree with you, Liam. Yeah, I do too. But anyway, I don't think we need to spend much more time thinking about him because he's no longer our minister. Very true. So why what's don't he, we... what's he got now? Trade, tourism, and investment. Does it, like, do you guys get me sense that would have to be a demotion, yeah? I think I my understanding that education was always a pretty high-profile 
portfolio. But I think trade always was as well, though, wasn't it? But I think the trouble is they've, they've mixed and matched a whole bunch of stuff because um, there's now a separate sort of um, uh, like finance and stuff have all been. They're just there's some bizarre pairings in a lot of this. I I think it probably roughly is Lisa, but I don't know what the pecking order is. But you never know. There might be some perks with the tourism role. Like maybe you get to travel at seas and, you know, who knows? Maybe it's the next step. The next step is foreign minister. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the new minister we have. So he was officially sworn in uh, on Tuesday. So he's now officially in place. His name is Dan Tian, if you're scratching your head and wondering who that is, you are probably very much not alone. Uh, I roughly think I had heard his name once or twice before he'd been appointed, but definitely not more than that. Um, Lisa, I think you shouldered the burden of doing a quick sort of source of his previous. Were you happy to give us a really quick sort of summation of his uh, of, of who he is and where he's come from? Yeah, <coughs> look, he um, came into Parliament in about um, in the 2016 election, I think it was. Um, oh, God, if I got that totally wrong, I can't remember which thing. I just tried to find interesting things about him. I didn't get his biography. But, look, he's essentially conser- he's a conservative. He's much like if Simon B- Birmingham was a moderate, he's Dan Tehan is a much more um, conservative person and most people think that he was put in because he's a Catholic and the big issue in this portfolio, in the wider education portfolio moment, is making sure that the Catholics don't unleash holy hell or unholy hell about um, the funding to schools. So he, as soon as he came into the portfolio, he phoned key stakeholders about Catholic school funding. So that shows where his interest is and what he's been brought in to do. Um, And he did that even before he was sworn in today. Um, he he's in he's from um, Malcolm Fraser's old electorate, um, and I read his maiden speech today, and it was a little bit um, sad. Um, he said he talked about Malcolm Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, who saved our great nation from Gough Whitlam. Um, but he did also say in his keynote address that education is a key reason that he is standing here today. His mother was a politician in the Victorian um, state government and he said that he had the distinction of being the first politician um, in the federal party whose mother was a politician. So that, yeah, oh, that's yeah, a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. He's got um, uh, children. He's got Oliver, Tim, Amelia, Maya and Eleanor, um, which kind of range in none of them are preschool age anymore. Yeah, they're all older than that. Um, And, of course, like all good Catholics, there's five of them. Um, But one thing you didn't know about him, he spoke in his maiden speech about Harmony and Rhapsody, the fairies who live at the bottom of the garden. So I think he was... His garden. I think he was referring to Eleanor's interests there. I think Eleanor's the baby and he was saying that 
since he's been a politician, that Harmony and Rhapsody don't get as many visits. Um, he voted yes for the same-sex marriage campaign because he pledged to vote in line with the national result, um, which I think is probably a good thing. On the bad side, Kevin Donnelly, do you two, I presume you two know who Kevin Donnelly is. He's kind of like a, a very right-wing education commentator. He reckons that Tian will be a good education minister. So that kind of scared me a bit. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, what I've learned about him today. I've also watched quite a few videos of him and... I've watched paint drying and it's hard to say which one was really more interesting. <laughs> well, that's because he hasn't been inspired by the early childhood sector yet. I but suspect it's because is, of his country background and the fact that he talks in a monotone. Did you see him on the 7.30 report before he became our minister? Oh, no, I only saw him the night that it all happened when Lee Sales kind of um, she said we contacted all of the ministers, um, or all of the all of the Liberal Party, and nobody agreed to come on except for Dan. And <laughs> he came on, and, and like he tried to run a particular line. Obviously, he didn't get the lease sales warning, and um, and she just took him apart. And it was yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh well, there you go. I think that's like a that's like an initiation though. You haven't really made it in Australian politics until you've been dismembered verbally by Lee Sales. Well, at least it, at least it started some conversation about who he was. You know, who's this idiot? <laughs> well, I think the, I think the thing was though. I thought her question was very relevant, which was why why did it happen? Why? But of course, it was being you know it, he just was running the party line um, as he would as a you know someone who'd been in that position, but just couldn't answer the question. Well, so now he's, so now he's, he's in place. So Lisa, A plus for your homework there. Well, well done. So I might go to you first, <laughs> Leanne. So I guess there's two ways we can approach this. You know, what, what should Dan Tian do with early education once he comes in and what do we think he will do? You can take either or both of those, Leanne. Well, I think what he should do, because I, I just sort of didn't have to think very hard about this. So if if I was him and I wanted to gain favour with children and families and the sector, this is what I would do. <laughs> Obviously, he's not going to. But I would, uh, first of all, secure the funding for universal access, number one for three- and four-year-olds. That's the, the first thing. And then... Um, I, I'm loath to say it, but I do think that the the um, childcare package uh, needs to be reformed, and basically all of the changes should be just obliterated, and we should have a much better package than that. I think that there should be a very strong focus on workforce, um, including improving wages for early childhood educators and um, apart from that, I'd sort of fritter around the edges with everything just to make it better. So I think they're the things that I would do. I, I think that what he will do is that he'll try and talk to a few people, become so confused, and then run to the school sector. 
<laughs> That's the short version of what he's likely to do. I don't even think he'll, he'll talk to a few people. I just think that we're over. We're done. They did us, like, you know, Birmingham did what had to be done with childcare. He's there to do something about school funding. It's, you know, like our moment in the sun's over. He's not, you know, he might in a very long period of time meet with a few key stakeholders, but that's it. He's not going to do anything in our area. Yeah, I think the God. pessimists are going to outvote you here, Leanne. I think I'm probably okay. with. I think I'm probably with. So the only, the only caveat I might put on that is I think he may be. Look, if I was the states and territories, I would be very much using this as an opportunity to uh, beat him and the government around the head on the preschool funding stuff. When you get a new minister in, it's sort of your chance to restate your case and maybe get some stuff back in the news. Um, so the the preschool funding stuff was very much tied to Birmingham. If, if, look, if I was you know in, if I was a state and territory education minister, I would be very much ramping up this this discussion and argument again and trying to get. Um, oh, but Sam, yeah, Bermo made it clear that he's already achieved this in his outgoing media release. He said that the, um, you know one of the things. One of the great reforms that he's achieved over the last three years is extended funding for preschool because it's provided an opportunity to ensure future partnerships with the states tackle poor attendance rates among the mo- those students with the most to gain from preschool. Hmm, that's an interesting interpretation. Hmm. <laughs> And it's also just based on incorrect information and, like, you know, how can you say that there's poor attendance rates when it's a point-in-time, one-week survey of who's going or who isn't going? And, you know, does he really think that there's thousands of, you know, children in low socioeconomic areas and children, Aboriginal children who are enrolling in preschool and then just never turning up, you know, and... Like, it just doesn't happen. No, look, it's only ever been a bargaining issue with the states and territories and him seeming to just want to pick a fight. Would um, would you both put him on corporate's watch? Ten? Yeah. What does that mean? Sorry. Am I, am I, am I well, insane? Do you think, do you think that, that the Australian government should be concerned with the corporates again? Yeah. Oh, yes. When, when our biggest corporate <laughs> drops to its lowest share price in five years, yes. Yeah. The, I mean, when the, the, the problem almost, with Almost, yeah, probably 40% of our, our um, childcare now is owned by private equity form, firms or, or corporates, yes. <laughs> when our corporate, our largest corporate um, has its ex-chair in, you know, uh, in court about dodgy goings on, yes. Yeah. I mean, whether, I mean, the, the problem with the sector is so complex. So we're, we're a maximum of nine months away from an election. It's actually probably likely it'll be quicker. I'd look, to be honest, I, I don't think he's going to have enough time to get his head around the sector in any way, shape, or form to have any coherent view on managing the rise of, you know, corporate provision and what that means. Unless one of them, yeah, you know, falls um, over. Falls over. So then can we talk about the issue of the pronunciation of his name? <laughs> Let's because... wrap up with that. Lisa, you, you've done some research <laughs> on this, haven't you? I think it's Tian. 
Tian. Oh, is it? Because I was hoping it was Dan to Ham. Dan to Ham. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was saying in my head was Tihana. It is. It is. It I is, want it to be Dan to hand. Dan to hand. It is going to be a bit tricky going from we had a we had we've gone from an education minister who was quite happy to have a nickname. So he he himself named his Twitter handle Burmo. It's going to be a bit hard calling this guy Dan. To, can we call him Dan the Man? Maybe. Yeah, I think we. Well, yeah, I, I like the yeah, idea of Dan it. the Man. Dan the, like man. Dan the Man. Farewell, yeah. Burmo. Hello, Dan the Man. Burmo, Dan the Man. Yeah, okay, Dan the Man. Dan the Man. But, but, one thing before we um, before we do wrap up, you know, like I think that we are sort of thinking, okay, what's ahead for this minister and all that sort of stuff. I think put all that aside. What's going to change? We need to get our advocacy hats on and everybody across the sector and start thinking about those things that we really, really want and start lobbying all parties for those things because we have an election coming up. So forget the leadership change, forget all of those things. Let's focus on what's coming up next and and just get going on that. Absolutely. The only mm. other thing we should add as well, which we probably should have mentioned way, way, way earlier, is that uh, Dan the Man's previous role was as Minister for the Department of Social Services. So he does, he does have, he should have some technical knowledge of the actual childcare subsidy. So DSS is involved in a lot of the actual sort of implementation of that. So there is, there's a possible, you know, there may be a possible silver lining for advocates there is, but he, he should be well aware of the challenges and problems of that system. And um, at least he'll be coming in with some knowledge rather than none at all. True. True. Mm. And he's also quite committed to um, rural education because he he's a rural kid and he's got a rural electorate. So that's something that, you know, might well, you know, interest him. So Absolutely. maybe a short-term a short term sort of goal might be to grow his interest in um, you know, the sort of quality ratings that happen in the rural and remote areas because of the under-resourcing and the lack of the the, the sort of lack of um, opportunity that, that is there for those rural and remote. Not that anything will change. I'm just trying to think, okay, what's something, <laughs> we, what's something quick and dirty that we can get done? One of the things that, are, are, you know, people that maybe um, aren't as involved in politics as others um, may not, realise is that when a minister moves, so do all of his staff and we lose all that knowledge and of the sector, all those relationships that people have built and we lose the capacity for the minister's office to demand that, um, that the department do things better or change how they're doing things, etc. And so... And it takes ministers, you know, quite some time to get their heads across their portfolio. So for the next, you know, four or five weeks, everything kind of slows to a halt as, you know, they wait for, you know, like, you know, the minister's got to get all of his chiefs of staff and his policy people have to be briefed and et cetera, et cetera. So... It's kind of sad that, you know, yeah, you lose a lot of knowledge when you lose a minister. Lisa, are you maybe suggesting that maybe Australia should stop getting rid of prime ministers every couple of months? That might help us maybe have a more stable government. I just think that 
I actually think the ministerial system is a bit stupid when you come to think of it, you know, like if they were, instead of all being, you know, like who did you vote for in the last factional fight and, you know, therefore what ministry do you get? Like if it was done on expertise, et cetera, like Dan the man sounds like he'd be a great, you know, rural industries bloke or, you know, he was a farmhand for a year. If we got a minister for farms, you know, he'd be good at that. Yeah, no, but Lisa, then you'd end up with some mad system where some highly qualified, competent and capable capable woman would be foreign minister or something for five years and then unceremoniously dumped. And like that's just, you know, we can't have you know we can't have women in those positions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we we will obviously, as I'm sure regular listeners know, we'll be keeping a very strong eye on what uh, Dan the Man is up to uh, and be you know, be keeping an eye on NEC policy announcements. Uh, we Sorry, seems- Liam. Yeah. He did say, Dan the man did say when he was signed in today or maybe um, it was when he was first went into Parliament, he said, as I have in all of my roles, I will listen, consult and seek outcomes which are in the best interests of all Australians. So at least he's going to consult. Yay. We love a good consultation. Oh we, haven't had, we haven't had a good yeah. consultation in... Months. But I I do want to point out that this is a momentous occasion. Lisa Bryant is being optimistic about even just the vaguest possibility. I know, and and, and wanting consultation. Can we? I'm glad that's on the that's on the record. So, Lisa, when it comes around, you're having to submit on behalf of the early education show. I don't want to hear any complaints. I, I have one one idea for. The new minister. Don't even mention the words productivity inquiry. <laughs> Very good idea. Well, let's leave that as our final bit of advice for Dan the Man in this episode. We will be coming back to him and uh, keeping an eye on his progress for the next little while. But that will be it for this week's episode. Thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.